and welcome to the Hand in Hand show where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of Stroke Focus Podcasts. This is Cam, your host. I'm here today with Emmanuel Gigante who had a stroke in 2003 at the age of 29. I'm going to bring him on and just let him tell us what happened and how he felt. So welcome, Manny. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. I always love these stories from people because they let us know, number one, that we're not alone, and, and number two, that, that each stroke is different. In 2003, you had this stroke. You were refereeing a paintball game. So tell us about this. Okay. During that time, uh, before I had my stroke, uh, I played on an amateur team, uh, amateur paintball team. And uh, during my free time, I actually refereed a lot of the local tournament, a lot of the local, uh, one of the local paintball parks here in San Jose. So I was there on that day uh, doing my normal, you know, doing the normal thing I do, you know, walking around the field and just in an instance, when uh, when I was walking through the field, I just felt everything get really heavy on my left side. So um, I just felt very weak. Um, I'm I'm I was also borderline diabetic then, and I I thought it might be just you know low blood sugar. You know I'm not feeling well. I just got to go home and refuel. So uh, as I as I felt weak that day, I just I, I started you know I there's a shield I had to hold during the paintball tournaments to stop, you know, get me getting splattered with paintballs. And as I'm holding it with my left arm, it just started getting heavier and heavier. You know, I just, I just, I just didn't have the strength to hold it up anymore. And like I said, you know, I started thinking, well, maybe I just need some, some sugar in my body because of, you know, because of my diabetes that I was just, you know, really low blood sugar. So, I told my coworkers that I was in, you know, I, don't, I wasn't feeling too well. So got out there, got into my car, which was about 10 to 15 miles away from my home, which by the way, was a stick shift. At the same time, I didn't realize that I was having these, having these symptoms of, of, of stroke and I just started losing my left side, you know, uh, my left arms initially. But I, I don't know how I did it, but I was driving a stick shift car, you know, from the paintball park to my home on the freeway as, you know, uh, with, you know, this weakness in my left side. I didn't even know how I got all the way home, especially with a stick shift, stick shift car. You know that your, your leg has to push the clutch in. So, as I, you know, I, I finally get home safely, you know. I don't know how that happened, but I got home safely. Yeah. But then um, as soon as I got out of my – as soon as I opened the door and tried to step out of my car, that's when I collapsed. I lost my leg right there, and I just – I just I was laying on the driveway. And luckily, my wife, who was home, found me and would, you know, took me straight to ER. So I went into ER. Um, they didn't know what exactly was going on with me because, you know, like I said, I, I, I had – you know, the first they thought it might be the diabetes, so they first started testing me for that. By the time they got through all that, um, you know, they finally diagnosed me with the stroke. And 
it took several hours, especially in the ER room, you know, to get diagnosed with a, with a stroke. You know, I was, I was not, it was not enough time. You know, I was there too late to get any of the clot busters in. So I, I didn't get any clot busters. And, um, from that time, from that moment on, I just, you know, I was there, I got submitted into inpatient and I was there for about three months, three to four months inpatient. I've been doing outpatient uh, OT, PT program for the past, what is this now, 14 years. Um, I've gotten some, some of my hand, some of my left arm back. My left leg is is pretty much uh, I'm 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 upright. I'm out of my wheelchair out of, 2000, out of 2005. I really wanted to get back going, so I really tried to find as many resources as possible that were out there. You know, I got connected with a lot of the teaching programs in my area where they're teaching OTs and PTs how to actually do treatment. So out of those, I actually got a lot of free therapy from there because I I was pretty much a guinea pig for new for therapists that were trying to do, get their certifications done. But in conjunction with that, I also uh, worked with um, the VA hospital here in Palo Alto. They actually had a robotics program. They were trying on stroke survivors or, you know, uh, people who've lost the, uh, the ability to walk. And I was in this mechanism, which is kind of like the, uh, the, uh, the G suit that a lot of people in a lot of other hospitals use now, which is basically a, a suit that, you know, helps people support themselves in, in a zero gravity type of position. So they were able to walk on a treadmill or walk on, you know, and you utilize a lot of their own limbs. During this time, it's been, it was, it's pretty interesting to me because I did the first thing that felt normal for a human being, which is really disconnect from as many people as possible. I didn't want to be self-aware of my symptoms and my suffering. I really disconnected and, you know, I lost a lot of power to do a lot of different things in my life. You disconnected yourself from friends and family. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. And I, I believe it was, it's a shame. You know, it's a really a shame mechanism that I wasn't the same person I was before. And, you know, I had these, you know, I, I, I had this vulnerability, you know, just like anyone else that, you know, hey, you know, I'm not 100% and I don't want to, you know, I really didn't want to admit that I wasn't 100%. And if I went in front of people who would remind me that I'm not 100%, that just makes me feel even more worse. Right. That's one of the things I did. Well, I think a lot of stroke survivors do that. And I think that it's very important for them to hear this, that people do this, that we, that we may step back and step away from people because we don't want to be reminded that we're, that we have a new normal for the time. Yes, being. exactly. And I think this is just good for people to hear. I'm thinking you have come back to people and friends and family again at this point. Yes. Okay. Uh, really getting back to, uh, to real connection is what I consider it, you know, it's really being able to get really open with others. And, you know, one, one of the th mechanisms that helped me do that was really getting into support groups. Uh, when I had my stroke, there weren't as many support resources as they are now. And right. now that I'm in there, you know, I've gained so much just to be around others who've gone through the same path of I, as I have has been very 
eye-opening to me and also very powerful to me to know that, you know, there is hope because I've seen people who've progressed from stroke two weeks to 14 years to 16 years and then they're all still progressing. You know, I'm 14 years in and, you know, I know there, there's, there, there is, you know, there is still hope for me because I used to get into to the aspect that, well, you know, why should I even try therapy? I'm never going to get any better. And that was a very big downside for me. And, I, you know, we're so used to getting very instant gratification when it comes to anything in, in, in the world. And to really have to work at even little things as a stroke survivor or as you know, Oprah Winfrey calls us stroke triumphants. That's a good point about not to give up and not to get discouraged because you will still make some progress. You were young when this happened. You were 29. What were you doing to support you and your family? Um, during that time, um, I was in, um, in technology. Well, I, I was in technology. I was doing, I was a, a sales engineer for a number of uh, tech companies in the area here. I'm in Silicon Valley. So um, okay. was doing that. Uh, I was doing that and I was also doing some consulting on the side. So uh, but there was a lot of uh, physicality with that consulting that I wasn't able to do anymore. You know, there's okay. a lot of, uh, a lot of wire runs and these kind of, you know, uh, actually running wires through different buildings and such. So I wasn't able to do that. Okay. What do you do now? Are you able to work? I'm in transition. Uh, actually in 2005, I became a realtor, which was a occupation that was allowed me to not be as physical. So I went into real, real estate in 2005 and uh, currently I've been doing uh, social media management and community management for a few startups in the area now. So I've actually transitioned just at the beginning of this year. So you're a man of many talents. Yes, I'm a manny of many talents, yes. Oh, a man. <laughs> How has your family been with all of this? It's challenging, as any family has. And, uh, you know, um, it isn't perfect. And, you know, there has been some, you know, some valleys and some, and some you know, and some hills with my wife, um, my wife has had to kind of um, had to really change the role, you know, as more of the breadwinner in, in our family right now. Even though I am getting benefits, it, you know, they are, you know, they're not, you know, they don't cover everything out there. But my real caregiver over the years has really been my my eldest daughter. And uh, she's 20 now, and she's actually, uh, because of her experience with me, is actually pursuing OT right now. So she's in OT school right now. Oh, cool. That's wonderful. Yeah. Also in 2005, I lost my first son to an accident. So that, that was, you know, it's, it was pretty devastating to have, you know, this many different sufferings happen, you know, right one after the other. Even just having just a stroke, but also losing a child that a few years after has been very trying on me and very trying on my family. And I'm just, you know, with all these things happening, you know, it really gives you a wake up call to really means the most in your life and really, really de redefining where your priority priorities are in life. So, you know, I had yeah. to rearrange a lot of different things. A lot, a lot of things that I used to be really, focused on didn't become as, as important as it is now. 
Absolutely, Manny. You are so right. When we have a stroke, we redirect how we live. Has there been anything else that you kind of wish that you had known in the beginning that you now know? One of the biggest things I wish I knew when, it, when it, in the beginning was what it was where and how to reach out for support. It, it just, it, when, I, when I was going through this process, it didn't seem like, one, the awareness of stroke was there, and two, the resources, the peer groups, the support groups that are out there now we just didn't seem to be as available. Or right. even, you know, getting, getting online communities together, you know, just like as, as you're doing here right now, you know, being able to share stories this way or what even um, Deborah's doing with her book. You know, it's right. just amazing to, you know, to see that there's this Sony, you know, I didn't know what, you know, especially being 29, you don't think of stroke. You know, that's not something that you think is going to happen to you. You know, it's always, you know, I don't mean, to, I don't mean to make it sound like it's only, you know, something that happens to the elderly, but, you know, that's what was always put in our minds. It wasn't put into our minds that we should be, everyone should be aware of it, not just, you know. Right. You learn a lot after you have a stroke that can happen to anyone. As far as the stroke support groups and stuff go, probably young people didn't go to. Now yes. you do see more younger people going to them, but still I think they get scared away by not going and at least trying it out because they think, oh, I'm on this anomaly. You know, there's not going to be anybody my age or understand me. And it's not true anymore. That is not true anymore. I mean, it's pretty varied and of the, you know, of the people that this uh, stroke can take. You know, I've seen 14-year-olds. I've seen... You know, I've, I've seen 75 to 85-year-olds in, in these groups that I've, I've attended. So it, it doesn't discriminate. That's one thing it doesn't do. Right. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are, how much money you have. It, it, it still will happen. So yes. um, what have we not covered that you might want to talk about? I'd like to address the one thing that I think is the, main, the actual the things that stops all of us from, you know, getting connected or, or staying in darkness. And I think that's power. And the, uh, you know, the way I've regained my power is really creating, getting back into real connection with others. And, you know, it's very hard. That's something I ha I've really been challenged to do. And I found several resources myself to do that. And I, I like to invite, anyone who's looking for that same power to reach out to me or and I, I, I can advise on different resources that I've, I've utilized that I've gotten into that has been, you know, scientifically backed, psychologically backed. It's just, you know, there's so much out there that I just want to share with this community, you know, with these, these community of survivors that we have out there. Okay. Well, I think there is a way we can connect you with people on Stroke Focus. And I think the vulnerability is really where, you know, that stops us as stroke survivors, you know, that, you know, I don't, I just don't, I don't feel comfortable enough in my own self to go out and, you know, meet other people because it's just going to remind me of what, you know, where, I, where I'm at. But I just want to invite anyone, you know, in that situation where you're just, you know, you, you're kind of questioning what, what do I do next? You know, I really want to 
encourage you to get connected with your local support group or any, you know, someone that, you know, who's gone through the path. Cause I know the biggest challenge I've had was I didn't know anyone else that had a stroke when I was having my stroke. Right. You know, it was, there wasn't anyone I could bounce a question off of, but in these support groups that I've attended and that are all, you know, that I've connected with, you know, it's really easy for you to ask that stupid question that's in your mind or, you know, how, or even your caretaker to ask another caretaker, you know, what do I, what do I do to, you know, support my stroke survivor? You know, I really encourage everyone to do that also. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is you, you talked about the caregiver there for a moment and, you know, they need support too because it didn't, the stroke didn't just happen to you. It happened to your family. It happened to your caregiver. It happened to your spouse, whoever it is. Um, yes. So it's very important for them to, to connect with um, other caregivers or, or spouses. Yeah, and it's amazing when you get a bunch of a bunch of caregivers and survivors in a room, how much information flows from there. Yes, it, it's the best. I, I love it, you know, at, at Stroke Support Group when, uh, you know, somebody says something and it like hits home and it's like why didn't I think of that why didn't I know about that but it's you know then it's out there and you know yeah even on one of the online stroke support groups you never know um, what you're going to learn there either but I much prefer I mean I like the Facebook pages and stuff but I do much prefer the in-person and more personal I just want I'm very grateful for this opportunity to share my story with it with you and with everyone Thank you for being on with us, Manny. I certainly appreciate it, and I loved your story. I hope our audience does, too. I think they will. And uh, join us for the next Hand in Hand show. Appreciate you. Thank you. And if you would like to follow Manny on Twitter, please find him with the handle at Manny Gigante, and that's M-A-N-N-Y G-I-G-A-N-T-E at Manny Gigante. This episode of Stroke Focus was brought to you by Deborah Meyerson. Deborah is a consulting professor at Stanford University where she was tenured until she suffered a stroke seven years ago. She is now writing a book called Identity Theft, Rediscovering Ourselves After Stroke. This is about the emotional side of stroke recovery, especially the journey to redefine one's life and oneself when so much of who you used to be is stolen from you. She is not only sharing her own story, but those of dozens of other stroke survivors, family members, and caregivers with whom she's spoken about this difficult process of rediscovery. Learn more on her blog at www.identitytheftbook.org. And thank you for listening.